breast cancer. Those are two words your patients don't want to hear and news that you don't want to deliver. Unfortunately for one in eight American women, it's a truth they'll have to face in their lifetime. And the risks are clear. Besides being female, the two major risk factors for developing breast cancer are advancing age and family history. In fact, about 80% of women diagnosed with invasive breast cancer are age 50 and older. And while family history of the disease is an important risk factor, up to 80% of women diagnosed with breast cancer don't have one. Unfortunately, many women still have misperceptions about who is at risk. They think, I don't have a family history of breast cancer, so I don't need to worry. My mom had breast cancer, but I'm only 43. The good news is that with early detection, we can try to reduce the risk of breast cancer mortality. Through awareness and education, we hope to improve patients' willingness to be screened for breast cancer. To help in this effort, Lilly has created the Strength in Knowing Breast Cancer Awareness Program and website. It's designed to educate women about their individual risks and provide a means for them to share this knowledge with others. At strengthinknowing.com, women can hear from professionals as they discuss the importance of knowing the risks of breast cancer, find out about events they can attend in their city, and help spread the message. The resources may also be helpful to you and your practice. There is strength in knowing about the risks of breast cancer. So spread the word today. Visit strengthinknowing.com and tell your patients to visit too. I didn't realize I was at risk until I visited. I told my sister, my mother, and my aunt. This program is sponsored by Eli Lilly and Company. Answers that matter. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lawrence Stryker, Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. Each year, approximately 155,000 new cases of large bowel cancer are diagnosed. After decades of increase, there has been a recent decline in incidence and death rates, presumably from a combination of increased screening and better chemotherapy. Still, colorectal cancer ranks second only to lung cancer in cancer mortality, accounting for 10% of all cancer deaths. Today, we are joined by Dr. Steven Stryker, a professor of clinical surgery at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago, to talk about colorectal cancer in women, current screening recommendations, and controversies in treatment. Welcome, Dr. Stryker. Thank you. I'd like to, of course, start with the usual disclaimer that while we're at the same hospital and have the same last name, Dr. Stryker and I are not related and, in fact, spell our names differently. Let's go right to screening. I think you know most physicians now are aware that a screening colonoscopy is recommended at age 50 in the general population. How often is this happening? And as physicians, what can we do to increase compliance? Well, that's an excellent question because without a doubt, screening for colon rectal cancer is the number one way to prevent the disease. We're fortunate that there happens to be a precursor lesion that is the adenomatous polyp, that if identified and removed during the course of a screening colonoscopy, we as physicians can actually prevent cancer. 
and there's very few malignancies that we're able to do that for at this point, cervical cancer being one of the uh, few other examples. So if we can get the population screened at appropriate intervals beginning at appropriate age, we theorize that we can decrease the incidence of colorectal cancer by 95%. And in fact, you know, with all the efforts that physicians are making to refer their patients for screening, uh, for the first time in 50 years, we've recently seen a slight dip in the death rate from colorectal cancer. But, you know, in answer to your question, still, we're falling woefully short in getting everyone who should be screened, screened at this point. Why do you think that is? Is it because of the cost, lack of insurance, fear of the prep? Fear of, I hear from my patients, of course, well, I don't want to get a perforated colon. And when I assure them that the risk of cancer is much higher than the risk of a perforated colon, they don't seem very reassured. Well, you're right. It's all of the above. It's so multifactorial. It's hard to pin it on one thing. When I see patients in my surgery practice who are referred with recently discovered colorectal cancer, so therefore they're a failure of the screening strategy, I'll ask them, I'll say, were you previously screened? And by far and away, the, the, the common answer is no, or yeah, I was once 18 years ago. And the reasons for not having been screened are multiple. One is, and the one that seems, you know, a shame to me is that still there's a fair number of primary care physicians who neglect to tell their patients to get screened or who don't push them to get screened. And that's, that seems to me one fixable reason. Other reasons are, as you said, the, the, commonly the fear on the part of the patient that either the procedure itself will be uncomfortable, which is something that, that should virtually never happen nowadays with the availability of the different pharmacologic agents we use. And in some instances, it's not the procedure, but you're right, it's the prep, the 6 to 24 hours ahead of time that the patient needs to be on a liquid diet and take uh, laxatives to clean out the colon. And what about the high-risk women? Certainly some women have been identified to be at higher risk due to family history. When should they be screened? Well, let's start with the majority of people fall into a low-risk group. That means they have rare or no family involvement with colorectal cancer. They're at a fairly young age, have no other predisposing conditions. Somebody in the low-risk group does not need to be screened until age 50. At age 50, they should be screened once, and then depending on, you know, who you talk to, if they have no polyps at that time, they don't need to be screened again for anywhere from 5 to 10 years later. Someone who's at higher risk would be a woman who has a family history of colorectal cancer or a personal history of uh, prior colonic polyps or who has a long-standing inflammatory bowel disease, be it ulcerative colitis or Crohn's colitis. Those we'd place in the higher-risk groups. Also, I'd put in a higher-risk group someone that had several family members with polyps at a young age, even if they didn't have colon cancers. If they had polyps at a younger age, I would say that individual is at higher risk. And the a recommendation for screening in someone at higher risk due to family history is that they should begin screening 10 years younger than the relative with the youngest age at diagnosis of colon cancer. So if someone's 
father was diagnosed at age 55. The children should be screened uh, beginning at age 45. Mm -hmm. And of course, the day doesn't go by that a patient doesn't ask about virtual colonoscopy instead of conventional colonoscopy. What should we tell our patients that ask? Well, we're just now learning through sophisticated studies that virtual colonoscopy is an acceptable alternative to conventional colonoscopy in detecting both colon cancers and significant polyps, that is, the slightly larger polyps that are at more risk of turning malignant. So it is a modality that is useful for screening. The problem is that, number one, it still requires a PrEP, and I think a lot of people being referred for virtual colonoscopy think that it doesn't involve the PrEP, and the PrEP is the most objectionable part to screening for most patients. So you still need to have a clean colon for a virtual colonoscopy. The other problem is that if a lesion is detected, there's no way to sample it or remove it with the virtual colonoscopy. So the patient then has to undergo a conventional colonoscopy to remove the lesion. Can that be done at the same time since they've already been prepped or they have to come back on another day for that? It's problematic. They're already prepped so it could be done, but they're getting the virtual colonoscopy done at a radiologic facility to try and get them over to a GI lab and work them into the schedule at the last minute is not, you know, it's not very efficient. So while logistically it couldn't be done theoretically, if it was set up that way in uh, colorectal screening centers for the future, maybe that's a possibility. That would be. I think where it's going to have its most utility is perhaps in regions that are underserved by trained gastroenterologists. So if you don't have adequate number of gastroenterologists, let's say in a rural area, to screen the entire population, one alternative would be to, to have the virtual colonoscopies done and only those that are found to have an abnormality would be referred then to the gastroenterologist. You're listening to Advances in Women's Health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Steven Stryker, a professor of clinical surgery at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago, about colorectal cancer in women, including current screening recommendations and controversies in treatment. Dr. Stryker, we were all taught in medical school that no physical exam is complete without the rectal. At what age do you think asymptomatic, low-risk women should have a rectal exam as part of their annual gynecologic exam or part of their annual physical with their primary care physician? Well, I think it should be included as part of the annual physical with their gynecologist. So the 15-, 16-year-old, I see very young women. Well, I think that if they're undergoing a pelvic examination, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of added trauma to doing a digital rectal exam. Having said that, I'll tell you my my reasoning is not so much that I'm worried about malignancies at the younger ages, but uh, there are a variety of benign conditions that, you know, it would be appropriate to document and offer treatment, and those would include the benign anal diseases such as uh, anal fissures, hemorrhoids, and also, unfortunately, increased prevalence of anal condylomata, which is a, you know, sexually transmitted disease. What about checking stool for occult blood? Is it really beneficial decreasing the number of colon cancers detected and the ultimate mortality from colon cancer? Yes, and the the recommendation for screening with occult blood testing in the stool is that that should begin at age 40. The reason that that hasn't caught on more is that there's still a significant number of false positives due to bleeding from non-polyp and non-cancer-related sources. 
and also a significant number of false negatives in that even if somebody has a large polyp or an early cancer, they don't bleed constantly. So it clearly is better than nothing, and uh, I do recommend occult blood testing in my patients beginning at age 40. Now, there's, of course, the inexpensive standard hemocult, and then there's some new technology available as well. Can you comment on that? Yeah, the newer technologies are looking at actually identifying malignant cell DNA in the uh, stool specimens. They're, they're, they're looking at the uh, molecular genetics of the content of the stool. And as those get uh, refined further, I think that would be a, a quite appropriate modality for screening. Again, it would depend on how often that material is being shed into the uh, I wish to thank our guest, Dr. Steven Stryker, for helping us understand current screening recommendations and controversies in treatment. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lawrence Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.